Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hey everyone, it's Anna. And it's Ashley. Welcome back to Two Girls Talking. We're so happy to have you with us today. And you're going to want to stick around for this conversation. President Biden's words struck a chord across the nation when he recently stated the most dangerous threat to our homeland is white supremacy. What's more, a recent poll conducted by the Pew Research Center found that a majority of Americans consider white supremacist violence to be a significant problem in our country. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Meet Matt and Tawny Browning, authors of the gripping new book, The Hate Next Door undercover within the new face of white supremacy. Their love story is unlike any other. It weaves the threads of commitment, sacrifice, and unwavering dedication. As Matt courageously went undercover, helping to bring 18 skinheads to justice for their heinous crimes. And Tawny faced an agonizing dilemma. She couldn't bear to be apart from the love of her life. So she made a life-altering decision to join Matt in his perilous undercover operation. And through their bravery and tenacity, Matt and Tani successfully took down extremists, setting the stage for a safer society. The two are joining us here today. Matt and Tani, welcome to the show. It is such an honor to have you both with us. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're so happy to be here. And you know, as a wife and with the work that we did, that was 18 skinheads that were well, 18 extremists that were put into prison for murder or attempted murder, right? Yeah. That's just a small part of what Matt's done. Oh, my God. Yes, there's so That's much more. Phoenix, we're going to dive uh, into that. You know, so first, let's let's get started about just today. Let's set the stage for 2023. The hate groups are still here today. And what may be often dismissed as fringe organizations, you say are in reality, very expansive networks that have infiltrated various aspects of American society. This includes the law enforcement and the military. Um, so Matt and Tani, how real and urgent is this threat today, especially as we head into an election year in 2024? You know what? I just don't think you can overlook it. I think it's always going to be a threat. Anytime hate is involved in anything is a threat. Uh, so, you, you know, and I, I think the problem is, is we're just glancing over it. And, and if we see it, we tap on it and, and then we move on. We need to concentrate. We need to take the times and come up with some solutions and, and have the conversations like we are now about what hate really is. Well, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm so interested in this. How did this all come about? How, how, what, what, what was the uh, impetus to you going undercover and doing this? It kind of started organically, but... But the first skinhead I ever met tried to kill me. Uh, gun stuck in my chest. Uh, we fought over the gun. Uh, and, and so so once that happened, you know, you get kind of interested in what's going on. Why would this guy try to kill me? So I started researching into the white supremacy movement and, and different uh, crews that might be around the Phoenix Valley area. And from there, it just blew up. And that, that was the question I was going to ask you next. Where did this all happen? Well, hate has no boundaries. So it happened all over the place. No, yeah, no, I, I mean, I for was, you, for you, where yeah, did I was, 
I was here locally in Arizona, in the Phoenix Valley. But because hate doesn't doesn't stay in one place, I was contacting people in Arkansas mm-hmm. and California and Washington and Idaho, mm-hmm. uh, the UK. I was contacting people all over the place. Well, I think that we should note, Ash, that um, Tony and um, Tony and Matt are um, are white. So, why did this guy want to kill you? Why why would that happen? That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I wish I knew because three weeks later he shot a Mesa cop in the back. So it's it's just I, I think that the anger that they have, the anger that's built up, that the they're constantly trying to trying to if you look like at a uh, a boiling pot with a lid on it, it's gonna bubble up and blow mm-hmm. the lid off. And then the lid will go back on. Then it bubbles up and blows it off again. And that's how hate works. Once it's inside you, it has to be released in some way. And then once it's released, you get that down. And then it starts building and building and building until it explodes again. And we can see that in our politics. We can see that in the way the society is going now. The hate movement is a roller coaster ride because of that boiling pot. You know, that was so shocking to me, Anna, that that some of these crimes are not black. It's not on white on persons mm-hmm. of color. It's white on white. So many that we detail in the book, so many of the crimes that have happened were white on white crimes with the same kind of mo- hate, hateful motivation. And I think the interesting thing that um, Matt and Tani, you've said is that the these supremacists and extremists are targeting our youth. And so from, you know, a very very early and impressionable age, as young as teens, perhaps younger, they are being infiltrated with the, this hate rhetoric. Can you talk to us just a little bit about just how these groups are even targeting our youth today and what we can be doing about it to protect our children? One of the main reasons that I wanted to write The Hate Next Door was so that we could get this book into the hands of teachers and parents um, because they are targeting our youth. The white supremacists are targeting our youth. And so it's the disenfranchised ones. It's the ones that don't feel like they belong at a certain point. And I wanted to make sure that we got a lacrosse stick into those Mm -hmm. kids' hands, a paintbrush, you know, get them into choir, something so that the mentorship was about something positive and not hateful. You're not born with the ability to hate. Um, If you hold a new infant in your arms, that that baby doesn't Mm -hmm. hate. Hate is a learned ideology, and as as it is learned through music, through through hearing parents talk, through an uncle, through a brother, through some type of outward or even even inward source, and it goes into this this baby. Then the baby grows up in it, and then as he hears his mom and dad arguing about what's going on in politics, that's more hate that goes inside, and more and it builds and builds and builds. You know, and they're targeting the ones that are bullied. You know, the the guys that are being bullied at school by minorities or 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 different political groups, and they go after those people. They do flyering and leafleting. Music is huge in the hate movement. So there's all type of uh, all types of ways that hate is spread. And right now, the biggest way is online. Yeah, and I, I also want to just talk about, let's talk, like dive into the book, you know, with music, like you guys were going undercover to these concerts. I'm curious, let's start here. What made you both decide to, that, that you needed and wanted to share your story and this book now? Why now? 
actually, can we start a little bit prior to that? Go for Ash, it, is that okay with you? Yeah, I, I, I really want to know what you did. You, you, now, Matt, you say that the story started, your story started when, when somebody tried to, to kill you. Right. What did you then do? What From, from the time that, that the fresh gut skinhead tried to kill me, I, I then set myself in a way to where I started to learn. I, 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 I went to outward sources to learn about hate. I never grew up with hate, so I didn't have a clue about what it was, what the ideology of hate was. And so the first group I became a member of was the National Alliance here in the Phoenix area. And then from the National Alliance, I then associated and, and became members of other groups that were here, the Klan, the Aryan Nations, World Church of the Creators, all these different groups and organizations. And I just kept bringing all that in. So as I was, as I was building my persona of hate, then I can understand who the people are when crimes were committed then I could direct people in whatever areas they needed to go to. You know, and what's interesting in a part of your story is that when you first went undercover, um, your colleagues were very reluctant. And oftentimes, like from the book, it seems that they were not taking your efforts very seriously in the beginning. What really kept you motivated to keep investing in the supremacists when there were so many other issues, and you mentioned these in your book, that the police force was working on? Well, I, I think that the white supremacy was such a for law enforcement at the time. It's a, it was a new mm. thing. Nobody really understood it. Law for it. White supremacy is an ideology. It's not a turf. It's not a, a a gang name. It's not a hand sign. It is an ideology. And and once you understand that ideology, you understand what to look for and, and, and how to deal with it. Back then, you know, nobody just wanted to take time. We were busy doing work in drive-by shootings. We were busy working drug cases. We were busy, you know, combating the street gangs that were really big at the time. And then I just took it and, you know, the motivation for me was a skinhead tried mm. to kill me. You know, you don't try to kill me and think that I'm just going to walk away from it. What was shocking for me is he would hear things like, white people don't commit crime. And I was like... We don't, you know, it was just kind of, it was, it was kind of um, shocking yeah. at the time. Today, it's still shocking. And Tommy, were you terrified? Yeah. Because I'd be scared. Just, I mean, I'm scared now listening to you. Terrified for just, you. Right. But you, you have the drive. It's anything that you're passionate about, you have the drive. Um, if, you know, pick a passion you have. If somebody tries to stop you from doing that, it just pushes you more and more and more. And that's what hate hate has done it has created a passion in my life that even as i'm retired now and even as a lot of the things that we talk about in the book are things that happen after i retired from law enforcement and tiny and i just you know for lack of a better word we killed it in what we did well when you know something you got to do something and it was just it, we just couldn't let it we didn't want to let it go because if I would always say to Matt, if not you, who? That's right. Yeah. And 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 you know, yeah, in ta and speaking true. of that drive and passion, Tani, it was love that really compelled you to risk your life repeatedly, and um, you joined Matt by his side to infiltrate these white supremacist gr groups. Tell us what made you decide to do this to go undercover with your husband. Well, forever, you know, I thought that um, my job was to make sure that he knew that the world was a beautiful place. And I would try to create a home that was, quite frankly, Disney-esque, an unsustainable 
you know, task, but I, that's what I tried to do. But when, when hate came to my doorstep, when hate came home, I had to do something. And I say that because we had a 4-H lamb that my son was raising and we found that lamb the day after Christmas dead on our porch. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. And it was from, from these, from these groups, from these groups. That's the, the it was a message that was sent to us. My and gosh. So, and so after the, after the death of the lamb and, and, you know, Tani bringing the kids together and trying to explain things to her. I mean, how do you explain something like that to your kids? You know, and that, cause then that drive in Tani to, you know, Matt's the protector here, but I need to do my part and understand if somebody's coming after me, I want to know who they are. And so that's how Tani got involved. Well, and it wasn't just that. I started, once I got involved, I started seeing things online. There were death threats against Matt where they said we need to bury him in the desert. And, um, you know, it came home. I had no choice but to get involved. And I want to point out, too, that like that story of the lamb um, for those that are listening, um, that is one of so many horrific stories that are in this book just to show the the hate that is truly in in them, inside them, the, the, the evil that's taking place. Um, in for Matt and Tani, you really you both witnessed firsthand the inner workings of these groups: the KKK, skinheads, border militias, Proud Boys, other white power organizations. Talk to us, like given that you just told this lamb story too. What toll did this take on the well-being of your family? Yes. Well, Matt was out in it every day. You know, I didn't have this. I wasn't. I wasn't in, as entrenched as he was, and the other guys that he worked with were, but. I saw it take a toll on him. I started, there were times that I felt like I was losing my husband. Um, and studies show that when you're, in, when you're engrossed in that kind of hate, it actually tra- changes the neural pathways in our brains. So I knew that if it was gonna change him towards that way, I could change it right back. Or that I felt like I could help do that anyway. Well, that, that's interesting. How, Matt, I mean, you were, you were around this, um, you were around this the whole entire time. I mean, how is it that you did not succumb to these evil, these evil thoughts, these, these, this evil way? How were you not sucked into that lifestyle? Truly, I realize you were undercover, but how were you not sucked into that lifestyle? And I ask that because, I mean, you know, when you have hate all around you, I would imagine that all you do is is get angry and then you would welcome that hate. Yeah, hate's triggered by anger and anger's triggered by hate. It's just a revolving cycle that never leaves. And that's why that's why there has to be a release for this hate. There has to be a release for the pressures that these guys are, are doing. And and this is I am not justifying their actions. I'm not justifying what a hate group does because it is sick and it is wrong. Those need to go away. But because of the ideology, I understand why they do what they do. And for me, if I'm going to put in hate into my life and into my brain, then I need to put in an extra dose of love. I need to put, you know, it's like making rice. You go two cups of rice, three cups of water. You go two cups of, of hate, you're going to go three cups of love. There's always got to be more love in your in you than there is hate. And at times it's hard to get that balance. But Tani provided those three cups of love. And, and Tani provided 
the love in my life and the love in our home that that was able to bring me back. And I say I tell everybody this and and, and I'll continue to tell everybody this. And even if you tell me to stop, I'm going to keep saying it. Is that if it was not for Tani and what she did, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Oh. It, it, there's there's no way that I could have done what I did, and 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 just and not had that love in my life and been able to survive. And sometimes it was really very very hard, you know. And to Matt's credit, I re- I remember one time it was like Matt, look, I didn't. We need you. And we've got five kids and, you know, we need you. And I didn't get married to go to church alone. And when I said that to him, he canceled his, the, the skinhead barbecue that he was supposed to go to. And we went to church. Yeah. What you, you said something, um, that, that hate is, is, is fueled by anger. And, and I'm not talking about the disenfranchised, okay? I understand why they are targeted. They're targeted by ISIS. They're targeted by any of these types of groups that believe that they can mentally manipulate and influence people. But the leaders, what are they so angry about? What, what fuels that anger that then becomes this, these, these outward violent actions of the white supremacist groups if you go back it, that's a great question and to understand that question you have to go into the history of hate and so if you go back in the history of hate um like there's one of the leaders he he, he just died a couple years back his name was richard butler founder of the aryan nations um butler you know talking to butler one day i understood he he took on this christian identity where it was a religious based hate and so a lot of these leaders say that it is their direction from God to do the things that they're doing. And once you have God on your side, then you've just you just injected steroids into this world of hate and you just make it explode. I always said that anytime you put religion into any type of hate, you just turbocharge the hate. Because now if God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, another thing, believe it or not, there is a lot of money in hate. There is... There's people who pay to be parts of these organizations. There's people who who pay to buy the T-shirts or the boots or the the stickers, the books, whatever it is. And so the, a lot of these leaders are motivated by hate or a lot of these leaders are motivated by the money that they're then supposed to use to build the hate. Um, but as we've seen, if you look back in the history, it's not sustainable. You know, it, as soon as Richard Butler died, a piece of that hate left also as soon as these other groups leaders go away because january 6th is a great example of when the fbi did a great job taking all the people to jail that were part of what happened well that made everybody else think oh shoot i don't want to go to jail and so they're backing off of of what they're doing but they're still doing their stuff online they're just not actively out promoting it like they were so Hate, the motivation behind the hate is historical, is financial, is religious. Um, And all we have to do now, I mean, read the book, The Hate Next Door. And if we can come up with solutions from the book, then we have a start. And that's all we want to do. We want people to to look at it. What, What are, since you've been in this world and you've been doing this, what are... Or what is one solution that, that that you think 
you know, could help since you've, you know, been involved in this. And, and because, you know, um, I'll be honest with you, I most likely am, am uh, one of their targets. I'm not white. Uh, I'm Catholic. You know, um, my kids are of mixed race. So, you know, yeah, I'm one of their targets. So I'm not going to be able to be one to <laughs> reach well, out and let's do a kumbaya, kumbaya moment. Right, but you're you're just not target. You're one of the main targets, right? You know, exactly. because yeah, I'm not going to go into the ideology of what they think of you because I don't think that way of you. I know. Uh, I think what we need to do is exactly what you guys are doing, and exactly what what some other people are doing, and we need to start the conversations. Um, I look at things. Tanya looks at things like you know, and they're great. Give them a football. Give them a lacrosse stick. Give them something to where they keep themselves active. Has to be done. And I'm like that guy that looks at, okay, we got this huge problem. What do we do? It starts with politics. We need leaders who actually will talk. There are a lot of smart people in this country. And if we can leave our agendas at the door, there are solutions and things that we can do. But we've got to leave those um, fringe agendas at the door, riling up the left, riling up the right. And the rest of us are kind of in the middle or somewhere in between going, what's going on? So there, there, there's just no room for that kind of extremism in our politics if we're going to get rid of extremism in the and nation. And I, I also think, too, for, you know, our folks and listeners, a lot are who are parents. And it's like, oh, my God, like politics, like I, what what can I do at home? I, I feel like, and Tani, you talk so much about this. It really, truly does start in the home and creating that loving environment, nurturing, supporting environment for our children. Like a couple weeks ago, I just put, and Matt, you were talking about like, you know, for every, you know, um, hateful thing, replace it with three, um, like love. And so I, I put something on my refrigerator. I typed it up, I printed it out and it says for every negative thought, replace it with three positive thoughts. Or like if my kids say something negative to each other, I make them say three loving things to each other as a replacement. And, and I, so I just, I'm saying that because I think for our listeners who are like, Oh my God, this is a bigger issue outside of just me. Just know that that's not true. That, that little micro things can start with, with, with you and and at least I'm trying to embody that with my white privileged children but also um, just it really is the foundation of, of love and Tani I've learned so much about that from you and I wonder if you can elaborate on that for our listeners too well I as you're saying some in the book we talk about a brain surgeon and a lawyer whose children were sucked into yeah. these groups and I think that, you know, th with no judgment going on, no success can compensate for failure in our homes. So when you say that it starts right there in our homes, you're so right. And um, it's giving, making sure that our children do feel like they have community, right. that they have a home, that they have a place. And I just love that you're doing that, you know, that you're saying those things to your children. Uh, and, and let me, if I may, we were listening to, even my older children, we were listening to the news the other day and they were, um, I hope this is okay, but they were calling Biden a corpse and saying, you know, whether wherever your politics lies, you know, that's bullying, that's, that's hateful right. speech, and you know, it's just mean. And it needs yeah. to be pointed out that this isn't okay. That's right, right, right. Um, is there? I guess um, do, do the people in these groups do they come from? all socioeconomic uh, realms or 
is this really, as some people believe, a certain stereotype of sect of, of, of people? Or, or are these like, you know, like I tell my kids, the scariest monsters are the ones that look just like us. Um, oh, true. Is that, is that true? Is that, I mean, are these... Where do they come from? Well, well, I I think the character character the character that we have in our mind is a backwoods redneck knuckle dragging, mm-hmm. you know, person who's not educated. They don't know how to put three or four sentences together. So, this is what they're doing. Um, that's just yeah. not true. As I said, they're they're these are children of brain surgeons and attorneys. And um, yes, we also have uneducated. Um, boys and girls that are getting sucked into this as well but it's it's it covers hate covers all of humanity you know it's been around since the beginning of time and therefore it's going to attract all different realms you know it's something that i'll call out that you talk a lot about in the book is that um matt when you under were undercover it was not it was i don't want to say easy to identify them but you had the classic doc martens the wife beaters the tattoos you could point out a, a skinhead, but now it's different that that you can't really visually point them out now, right? So tell me a little bit about like the looks and how it's changed. Uh, that's a, a great point. One time is all boots and braces, and now it's camels and khakis. Um, you know, and and that's because, like we talked about a little bit ago, is that in order for the hate movement to keep going, it has to conform to what society lets it conform mm-hmm. to and you have to bring in the people who who can speak and who can address and who can stand in front of crowds and give a presentation and in order to get that you can't be laced and braced and, and showing your swastika tattoos you got to have the khakis the suits and things like that and so that's what the hate movement's morphing to now you know we you really to really understand the person you have to get into the rhetoric of what they're mm-hmm. saying and understand the ideology behind the rhetoric. And and that's why it's the hate next door. It could be next door. It could be our coaches. It could be our, our churchgoers. It could be our doctor. It could be anything in society. And we, as, as society, we need to look and, and we need to recognize it. And we need to make the, we need to do what we need to do. And I'm not promoting at all any form of violence or any form of confrontations. What I'm promoting is, hey, I understand you have this ideology. Can you explain it to me? Because I would I would say a large amount of hate is bogus. A lot of the things that hate preaches and teaches is made up. It's not truth. And so as we let the truth out and as we talk to people and say, you know, what's really going on here? And maybe they've never been to the inside of a synagogue or maybe they've never seen the that maybe they never took the, the drive down to the border or maybe they've never looked in into what is really going on. Or maybe they've, you know, if, if your son's son or daughter is listening to hate music, look at the lyrics and, and then you will understand. And then don't take this. Don't take the music away and ground your kid and throw them in their bedroom for four weeks. Sit down and say, what is going on here? That's what we want. We want communication. So, yeah. And Matt, Matt sounded the alarm, I think, publicly in 1997, right? Uh, Yeah. And the reason he decided to go public was because he sat down with with an elementary school child who was writing swastikas on his notebook, Mm -hmm. you know, and he they had a conversation. Mm -hmm. 
they, he was able to explain what that all meant and it made all the difference. But that's when he decided, I, you know, we have to sound mm-hmm. the alarm. Mm-hmm. Can I just tell you one quick story, not to sure. take much time? We, we love football in our house. We have two kids that, that, that play football and, um, and, their daughter, and, that and a daughter that dances at the football games and, and other kids that support. But last year, our son's high school football team, they started, he's a senior, they started as freshmen, they won one out of, out of 10 games. But our son and one of the other players said, we're going to take state our senior year. We're going to win. And so they went through the whole four years. And then on their senior year at camp, the coach brought everybody together. He's a white coach, brought all the team together that was full of different races, different religions, different ideologies, different socioeconomic backgrounds, brought them all together and said, you will talk to each other and you will understand what it is that makes this person who they are, what makes this person the way they are. And from that conversation on, they took state. Wow. They became a family. They be, they became a community. and um... Because they were forced to talk to each other and understand each other, and they became brothers. Yeah, that bonding. Yeah, communication is 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 so key. And you know, even even Ash and I, who are in our, the communication business, sometimes we don't always do a great job. We recognize that, That's right. but hopefully, it doesn't lead to the level <laughs> of what you guys mess with, uh, dealt with. Do you? I love that. I love that story because that was one man, one mm-hmm. coach. Who made a difference? Who made a difference? In that entire team's lives. Wow. You know, they won. They took state. You know, it was successful. And if we can do that on a football team, can we not do that in our communities? That's can right. we not do that as a nation? We do need that win. To have a conversation. Uh, are you be curious? Open up the door to communicate with each other. That's the message for our listeners to take away today. And and yeah, have those conversations with not like just anyone in your community. We don't do that right, enough in right. general. I mean, like, we like, do not, just, we do not, you know, people are so like fast moving, you know, you don't stop at the grocery store to talk to the cashier or, or the barista who's serving your coffee. And I am really making more of a conscious effort to do that these days. And I've become very good friends with my, the cashiers at the, my local grocery store. But I just feel like as a society, we're just like, so focused on like us. And, um, mm-hmm. it, this is such a great reminder and conversation to just like go beyond yourself and really open up the door to communicate and get to know those in your community. Yeah. The differences we make are when these, when these children, when these folks know that we care, Mm -hmm. that's when we've seen people actually get out of the movement, get out of these hate filled organizations is when they know that someone cares. Well, that's something I want to know. How, how did you get out of this? You were in law enforcement. You're not in law enforcement anymore. But how did you get out of those groups? And, like, they let you well, go? It's in the book. So, I, you know, oh, I don't okay. want to give the whole book away. But Matt and Tani, um, there was, I mean, do you want to talk about the moment where, Matt, you were discovered um, when you were on the stage? Yeah, oh I was um, I was asked to speak at the Capitol to our legislators about how hate is fueling the fire at the border, how how hate is is causing more more bad than good at the border with the border issue and the border militias. And so as I was giving my presentation um, to a, you know, said with quotes, a closed crowd um, in through the back door walks 
the the head of the National Alliance, the guy that I was undercover with, and also JT Reddy, who is a guy throughout the whole book, we were like at each other nonstop. And so that was the beginning of the end. Um, and, you know, it was good. It was good. I think it was I think it was time after it, that happened because I understood and I understand now what hate is and how it's promoted. I hold zero resentment or I'm not upset that I was outed. I'm upset about the, the threats that came afterwards and things like that. Um, I'm upset about the the in the teens internal affairs complaints that were made against me overnight by these guys. And so, but I, I think that even though I was out, at, you got to understand, Tani and I, since that time, we've still done what we do. We still go to, we still went to the shows to gather the intel on who's who and who's out and who's doing what. We still gathered enough intel to shut down one of the world's most violent skinhead crews. Um, and we, we work with other people. What I found out is that not everybody has to go to jail. If you want to stop hate, you have to stop the rhetoric and you just go after the person, people on the top. Nobody on the top wants to go to jail. They don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to lose their families. The exposure of hate makes people stop. And, and that's one thing that I was able to learn. And, and quite honestly, you know, I'm going to just go on this little Tawny tangent here for a second. <laughs> it makes me look I'm sitting because, here storming because I know. Because that's what Tawny taught me. Tawny said, Matt, not everybody has to go to jail. Yes, if they're committing murders and robberies and things like that, then they need to be taken care of. But the people who are sucked into this that that are into the ideology without committing the crime, we can still talk to these people and help them out. And and luckily that's what, you know, that's Tani, one of Tani's biggest things that she does is help people understand and get out of this stuff. Well, they, so many people are, and all of us can be sucked into something that we don't even, we were drowning before we really knew that we ever got in the water. And I, you know, they don't know that they're in the waters of hate sometimes before it's so, so big. And it's those people that I want to reach. And you've actually been in touch with um, former white supremacists, Matt. You still keep in touch with them. Um, oh, yeah. Can you tell us about what they're like today? Well, you know, for instance, uh, one of the guys we locked up for murder, um, Sean, he... Uh, all, I, I, I kid you not, out of the blue on Mother's Day one day, I got an email and it was from him and he apologized throughout the whole email. And it's in the book. Look at it. Look it up. It's in the book. The email apologized to Tani and the kids for everything that he put our family through because of what I had to do because of him. And he says that, you know, if it wasn't for what Matt did, the violence potential that we would have done in the community would have been so much worse. Um, so, you know, and there's another, there's another skinhead, you know, brutal skinhead. He's making six figures now. And that's because, you know, he was shown in successful. Yes. But you got, you got, there's still that little grain. You gotta, you gotta remember, hey, these guys, you know, they're cons, they're, they're haters, the ideology. But I think Tony and I have been fortunate and we've seen 
you know, a couple here in the Valley. We've seen some other ones outside in the U.S., one in Canada that's doing amazing. And, and you know what? You can leave hate. You can leave it at the door. You can, you, can, you can walk away from it. As long as, this is the key point, as long as you have enough love to compensate for the hate you're taking out, then you'll be all right. Just because I was a police officer doesn't mean that I didn't have to do the recipe that I'm telling everybody else to do because every day I have to do that recipe. And, and I think that's, that's the success of what we've done, you know, is help people out and exposed. But I really think the success and and I hope it shows in the book is that it, it all it takes is one person. Tani changed my life forever. It takes that one person changing, in somebody's life. Changing the world one skinhead at a time. Yeah. <laughs> it truly is a story like rooted in the foundation of love and I could hear you share your story over and over and over again and continue to learn from you both um, and I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for doing this hard work for sharing your story now can you tell our listeners where they can find the book and get more information about about you Yes, and I am going to say this. We can all make a difference. We can all do what we know what to do right in our little field of references at home and in our communities to stop hate. We really, really can, each one of us. And I think we know internally what that is that we can do. But I would love to get this, um, this book in everybody's hand, every politician, every teacher, every parent, and students that are old enough to listen and understand what this book represents. And you can pick up the book anywhere that books are sold, or you can check us out at mattandtawny.com. That's M-A-T-T-N-T-A-W-N-I.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Matt and Tani and listeners. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a conversation. Please check them out. Read this book. It's it's a book that you can pick up and read and learn from over and over and over again. And um, I can't wait yeah, to read it's, it. It's so amazing. And Matt and Tani know that, you know, I'm personally a, just a huge supporter and have learned so much from you both already. So thank you. Listeners, we'll see you again in what? Two weeks, Anna? Two weeks. Yay. Two weeks. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.